Welcome to the Entre Pastors Podcast. This show helps pastors think, act, and thrive as prosperous entrepreneurs. And now, here are your hosts, Les Hughes and John Sanders. Well, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Entre Pastors Podcast. My name is John Sanders. One of the co-hosts here with my equally handsome other co-host, Les Hughes. What's up, Les? Yeah. Hey, John Sanders. Good to see you, my man. Good to hey, see I have you. A question real quick, John. Just, yeah. just real quick, I, before we get started today, I, if for the for the folks that you know aren't watching the video, I noticed you sport a lot of Nike apparel, which is cool. I'm I, I like Nike. You know that's fine. I just wonder if you have an NIL deal. Well, I don't know what NIL spells, but I am sponsored name, by Nike. Name, image, likeness. It's name, image, likeness. A lot of the college collegiate athletes now are signing big deals. I'm thinking, hey, that's a source of revenue. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's a small fact a lot of people don't know about me. At one time, Nike did sponsor me. They had posters, Just Preach It, and um, and they sponsored a lot of my wear that I preached in. And I do not doubt it. You're a lot closer to Oregon than I am. Yeah, so but I'll let you I, have that. Something one. happened. I can't talk about it. They took all the posters down, and so they still let me wear theirs. That's a total lie, Les. None of that is true that I just said. So <laughs> I do wear a lot of Nike stuff. But you know what? Lately, I've been switching more over to Under Armour, which Amen. Yeah, I, I am. I am an Under Armour man. I haven't. I haven't ever owned anything that I didn't love from them. Well, I'm becoming that. And my beef with Nike, and I hope they're listening right now, is they they have not been making tennis shoes that are normal. Like all their shoes have like quilt Afghan fabric, and they're just wild colors and weird. And they're just maybe I'm getting older, or Nike lost me somewhere <sighs> along the line. I cannot hardly oh. find a pair of Nike shoes I like anymore. And I used to oh, just but- love Nike shoes. Anybody from Under Armour's listening, we're we're open to talk. You bet. We will we'll get that NIL thing Les <laughs> was talking be, about. We can be bought. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Under Armour. None of that's true, but we are open to it. So good question, Les. Good conversation. Well, hey, speaking of spending money, what can you get for a dollar these days, Les? If I gave you a dollar or you found a dollar on the ground, what what can you pick up a value for a dollar? Dollar, about a fifth of a, a fifth of a gallon of gas right now. Say so certainly not a pair of Nikes or Under Armour. So certainly not that. Oh, but man. you want to know something you can get for a dollar less? I know what you can get. You, you can get a membership. Absolutely. Les and I are experimenting with something uh, in an attempt to really share the value of our membership community with our audience. We're doing a one dollar trial. And it's a it's a one month trial. It's for a buck, and that lets you get into the membership, look around, see the courses that are being built out in there, have access to the Facebook community inside of there, have access to the backstage pass that we have as part of our podcast. All of that for one dollar, like that's pretty incredible. I don't know too many places you can go and spend a dollar and get that kind of value. Right. So yeah, all all of that and. You know, there are some amazing people. There are some things that are intangible, right? And uh, the relationships and the friendships that are being forged in there. Priceless. You can't put a dollar amount on that anyway. Not at all. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that in the days to come. But we're going to see what uh, how that moves the needle by offering that up for $1. If you go to entrepastors.com forward slash trial, uh, you can check that out and get, get in on that 30-day uh, 
free or not free the 30 day one dollar trial and see everything that we have to offer inside the membership mm-hmm. so good yep. stuff there hey let's get into the conversation for today this week's episode last so uh many weeks ago you told me about this guy that you knew that was a pastor and was a firefighter and was getting ready to release a book on trauma in especially in the world of first responders and military i'm like I got to meet this guy because like everything you're saying describes someone that is in my wheelhouse. And that's, uh, that's who we're going to be talking to today, a pastor by the name of who? Les, tell us about him. Jeremy Vandelinder. And he is, he, he is a, a part, not only a part of our tribe, but we'll mention maybe a little bit later on some specifics about what that looks like. But we did, we just started having a conversation about a project that he and a, a writing partner of his were doing, and he's becoming a a close, a, a fast friend as well. And the more I learned about what Jeremy was doing as a, as a church planter, a contractor, first responder. I mean, there are, there are so many, as you said, it, there's so many ways his world crosses into ours that I just knew that he was going to be a perfect fit for our community. And he sure has been. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, he's got a number of things he's involved in. He he is absolutely an entree pastor, and uh, we had a fantastic conversation with him a while back. So without any further ado, we're going to cut to this interview that we did with our friend Jeremy Vandelinder. Good stuff coming your way, guys. Check this out. All right. Well, Jeremy, welcome to the Entree Pastors podcast, man. It's great having you on the show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for what you guys are doing. Yeah, well, I was excited. We're all excited. I mean, there's just a lot of excitement going on here today. But I was excited when I learned that we had a pastor in our group that had also served as a firefighter. I didn't know there were many of us out there. So I was glad to connect with you a while back and just hear more of your story. So um, Yeah, my, my brother's a cop, but I I turned out a lot cooler than him. So. Well, absolutely. I mean, we don't even need to unpack that. Say no more. You said, you said cop. I understand. So, Don, I fight fires like a lot, but that, that doesn't count. No, you're, the fires you fire are totally different. So, I mean, okay. it's past, all, right. all pastors are firefighters, but there's a few of us that actually get to crawl into buildings and, you know, fair enough, do some straight up <laughs> hero stuff. I always say that when we get back in the truck from a call that is not glamorous whatsoever, I'm just like, well, there's some more hero stuff there, you know, and, <laughs> and we help pick up a, a grandma up off the floor or something, you know. You know, and that's, some, that's hero stuff. Well, it yeah. is, but they never show you that on TV. That's not on the brochures right. when right. they try and sell right. you a right. job. So, yeah. well, anyway, Jeremy, why don't why don't we just start with a little bit of an introduction? Tell us your story. Tell us where you live, and tell us about how you got into pastoral ministry, and then we'll start getting into the business side of things. Okay. Well, um, I am a church planter pastor in Round Rock, Texas, which is a northern suburb uh, of Austin and uh, Austin, Texas. So um, been here since 2010, moved here, started the church in 2011. Um, as far as my story, it was really interesting. You guys interviewed Nathan Bate uh, a while back, my friend Nathan, and I have kind of similar paths in, in a lot of ways. I was listening to his story thinking we'd probably just be replay his in some ways. But um, basically, I, I grew up <clears throat> in a pastor's home, so have had a desire for pastoral ministry at really as long as I can remember. Uh, went through, you know, the phases like every little boy of wanting to be a firefighter. And I guess I never totally outgrew that. Right. Um, but, uh, but basically I, I always sense that direction towards ministry in my life, um, for really as long as I can, as long as I can remember. Um, I worked my way through college, uh, in public safety. I got my EMT license in 97 
and I've been involved in public safety, um, emergency services in some form or fashion really ever since then. Um, I even, uh, after I graduated from college in 2000 and went into full-time ministry, I continued to keep my, my hands in uh, EMS in particular was where most of my uh, experience has been. Uh, but I have, I have been um, a firefighter. Like I said, most of my career was EMS and also a public safety officer for four years. And then in full-time ministry since 2000, continued to stay involved in, in public safety. Uh, when I moved here in 2010, my attention shifted a little bit more towards crisis intervention, traumatic stress. You know, a lot of our first responders just have profound um, questions, um, needs, and um, really uh, a lot of um, a lot of the opportunities that I was seeing in the public safety world gave me an avenue for for a special kind of ministry. And so um, I've, I've kind of shifted more in the last you know, decade or so to that. Um, in that context, I worked for our local fire department uh, as their chaplain and their director of victim services. So um, was helping our firefighters and also helping our citizens who were going through difficult situations, the loss of a loved one, a house fire, um, those kind of things. So was responding to those, but in a little bit different role. Um, kept my EMT license as current, but my role, you know, kind of became different. Um, during while all of that was going on, you know, we planted a church in 2011, and um, we've had some, you know, some ups and downs as church planting usually goes. And um, I was looking for, you know, a vehicle by which I could build a little bit more of a future for my family, and um, started looking pretty seriously at real estate. Uh, we had had a, a house that we had moved out of when we moved here in Florida and um, put that house up for rent instead of selling it. Just the time was right to, to rent, not to sell. And so, uh, interestingly enough, I was thinking about, you know, what, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to come up with more funds and all that kind of stuff? And um, mentioned to a, a pastor friend when I was at a conference that, um, you know, I was thinking about selling this house and that I'm renting out. And he's like, no, don't, don't sell it. I'm like, no, he said, no, don't even tell you what I'm doing. And so he started telling me about his investments and real estate and what all he was involved in. And, and here's a guy that doesn't even need to take a salary from his church um, because he's doing, doing well uh, with, with the other things that he's got going on. And um, so I said, I'm a reader. So I said, give me some books to read. So he listed off, you know, five, six books. And I started reading and spent about a year just really delving into real estate investing in the hows and the whys. And um, after a while, I kind of came to the conclusion, you know, this isn't rocket science. Um, if you can make decisions, um, if you can do math, um, you're, you're, you're probably going to do okay in real estate investing if you're, if you're doing it right. So um, really got into it in earnest in 2015. Uh, meanwhile, again, ministry's going on, ministry and the fire department's going on. Uh, and in 2017, I had, um, I bought my first fire damaged house and flipped it. Um, and it, it went pretty well. Um, actually that, that house got on HGTV incidentally mm. enough. Cool. Um, I didn't, but the, the house did, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so anyway, so the, the, the one fire damaged property led to two, led to three, led to a niche, which in real estate investing, it's helpful to have something that, you know, you kind of run towards that investors don't, don't want to do. 
Mm-hmm. So um, we started flipping fire damage properties and then came to the conclusion that, hey, if, if we can do it for ourselves, we can do it for customers. So in 2019, um, I stepped away from the fire department and I started this company, which is a, um, a restoration and construction company, including an emergency service component um, that's associated with a national hotline. So we will come out, we provide victim services, um, we secure the house, and then we build trust with the homeowner. And a lot of time that leads to, hey, we want you to just do the whole thing, you know, do the mitigation for us, do the rebuild for us. But that's not, not our, our um, you know, that's not what we're there to do in that initial phase. We're there to help them. And um, we're, we really see ourselves as a victim services company. And um, so we're still kind of responding to fires, but in a different role mm-hmm. and still doing a lot of the traumatic stress crisis intervention um, so I've got, you know, pastoring going on, running this business, running the real estate investing, also still doing some work in crisis intervention. In fact, um, we're writing a book right now. I say we, um, um, I've got a co-author who's a colonel in the U S army and we're writing a book on, on trauma and, uh, hoping to help some people with that as well. So, man, so that's I- kind of a quick, uh, 30,000 foot view. I love all of that. You did a great job of just sharing that at a kind of the high level. There's so many directions we could go with this, but maybe one thing I want to call out, this isn't really a question. It's more of a statement and we'll see where it goes, but is what I want, what I want our, our audience to hear is that you're a pastor, you know, you have this heart for the church, a heart for, you know, ministry in, in its traditional sense. And yet there's so many different areas that you took that heart and, and then found a way to uh, bring that to bear in the marketplace in some way. You had a passion for firefighting and first responders, and, and there's multiple ways that you have done both ministry and business as a result of that, whether it's through the crisis intervention stuff, which we'll go deeper into here in a minute, um, or even the real estate side of things. Again, you're you're right there on the front lines when someone's home, is they've had a fire. It's not only is it an issue with the home itself. There's a huge psychological component to that, you know, when someone's lost right. a bunch of stuff in a right. fire. And so you're there to to serve them, but now the, it opens the door to other business opportunities down the road. You're not there like a vulture, you know, waiting to make a sale. You're there to serve someone in their time of need and provide a needed service. I'm guessing most people don't walk around with a you know, with a fire restoration company on speed dial, who who can I call when my home right. needs to be boarded up? And here you are to provide that service. Um, so I just love that, man. I love you've got multiple things going on, and I want our pastors listening to this to hear that, that it is possible to take... So here, here's where I'm going to go with my next question. Going back in the conversation a minute, you you talked about reaching a point in your church planting journey where you realized, bottom line, we need to do a little bit better financially. Take us there. Talk talk to us there, because that's where a lot of pastors are at. They don't have to take the same path you did in, t- in the businesses you, that you're doing. But unpack that for me. Like, What was that like for you to realize, I need to make more money? How can I go about right. doing that? I've been called to be a pastor. Like, Unpack that whole part of the story. Yeah, so we were at a point when I first got into real estate investing where we were, we were full-time in the sense that between the support that we were getting from outside and within our church, um, you know, we were, we were fine, but we're living paycheck to paycheck. So not, not building a future. And that's where I really, my wheels were turning as far as where can we go to, to build um, more of a future for our family. Um, and that was when I initially got into real estate, but then as things at the church changed, um, we, 
you know, it's like, Hey, we, we've got to cut the budget. Um, and I'm sitting there with the finance committee saying, you guys cut my, cut my salary. Well, pastor, we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. I'm like, well, where, where else is the money going to come from? Right. I mean, you've got to, and I'll, uh, I'll just lean more into real estate investing. Um, and so that's what I did. You know, the challenge with real estate investing is it's a long-term play yeah. and it's not a, you know, um, week by week, uh, you know, you're building wealth, but you're building a lot of it on paper. Um, and so that was where we kind of had to pivot a couple times just to see what was going to work. Um, even the crisis intervention, I was teaching for a while in that arena, but in order to keep those, those gigs coming would have taken an incredible marketing machine. And that was when we made the decision, okay, let's, let's move towards more of a, a service-based company. Um, and that's, you know, I'm w- whatever you term you want to use bivocational tent maker, um, that kind of thing, but, but entrepreneurial in, in that sense. I don't know if that fully answers your question. No, it's, it is, it's, it's good. And, um, I want to back up even to the point of like your crisis intervention. And so here you are, you've grown up in the church, you have a heart for the church, but you also love the whole first responder thing. I I think what I want our listeners to hear is that so often we get told it's an either or thing. Well, then to serve God means you got to pick one, you know, and, and really, if you really want to serve God, you need to pick the church one, the pulpit one. And I want our listeners to understand if God has put something in your heart, there's a reason for it. If if there's something about responding to people in their moments of need in in emergency medicine and and firefighting, like God, and that this obviously resonates with with me for obvious reasons. But God put that there, and it can be a source of ministry. It can be a source of income. And what would it look like if we told our pastors that it's not only okay, it's actually good to embrace that and say, okay, so where can I use this outside of the four walls of my church and in a way that, that blesses not only the people I'm serving in that capacity, but you know, blesses us financially? Because uh, I had a similar path in terms of when I got back into full-time firefighting, I quickly got into the same world of like, the, the trauma aspect of it, the mental health aspect of it. And I launched a podcast and I had some, a little bit of revenue that came as a result of that. And so again, I, not that all pastors need to go that route, but to know that where, where can I use what God has given me to go out and serve in a, in a similar way. So I just love that about your story and, uh, you know, love how you've positioned yourself. So go ahead. If you were going to say something there. Yeah. Just in a, to, to take a little bit different, Pack, you know, sometimes Jeremy, the, uh, the response that John and I get with this message is, uh, there, there are some haters out there and if to give them the benefit of the doubt, they, they, you can tell that they really don't get it. And, and here's how, because when, when the scenario is presented that John just mentioned, it's such a, it's, it's as if some people either say it or imply that to choose that vocational ministry track as opposed to choosing more of a self-centered, world-focused, materialistic, or greedy track, as if those two paths you know, are mutually exclusive. To put it differently, some would say, well, one track is being obedient to the Lord, and one's kind of going our own way. But good grief, right. what you described, what you described as the, as the, as the other, other side of ministry outside the walls of that vocational, you know, what most people would consider a vocational full-time pastoral role. It is, you're, you're serving people in a, 
in a time where there, there, there is a place for coming alongside and comforting and counseling and, and praying with and all of that. But those people have a, they have a life that they need to live that takes um, some place to live and, you know, clothes to be replaced and just basic right. necessities. And then they need to move on so that they don't have a total loss. So yeah, and those think, sheetrock companies don't, they, they don't give materials away most of the time. The lumber companies don't give materials away well, most of the time. The subcontractors aren't going to do all that work gratis. And so that has to come from somewhere. And the service you're providing is absolutely as much a ministry to those families. Yeah, I think sometimes you can, the pill is a little easier to swallow for folks if they can draw a line to how, how this is ministry, how this is, you know, uh, productive for, for the church as well. It's a, maybe a little harder to see that like with construction work versus, you know, the chaplaincy, for example, yeah. um, where, you know, the, the two kind of synchronize a little bit better. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, a good, not only a good business strategy, but a good philosophy of our life is provide value first, right? Serve people first, and then the that will pay for itself in, in the in the long run. Um, and that's our philosophy as a company. And I tell guys, we're not a we're not a restoration company. We're not a board up company. What we are first and foremost is a victim services company, and everything else flows out of that. Well, to paraphrase James. You know, when you see someone that's in need and you say, well, I'll pray for you, be warm and well fed, <laughs> but don't do anything at all to help them in that situation. Then it's just, it's, it's what you call faith without any works, which he says is dead sermon over. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to yeah. ask you to go down a route. Cause this, again, there's some, some crossover here in the, in the realm of like the, the mental health, the trauma, the, the critical incident stuff where you are currently writing a book, which I'd love to hear more about that. Um, in that realm, I have heard people say in the fire service, well, how could anybody charge money for that? Like if you're trying to help people, you know, avoid taking their life and suicide, how in the world could you build a business around that and monetize that? And again, to me, that just flows out of this scarcity mindset of that somehow says, like I'm taking something from you because I'm providing a service here and, and charging for my service, even though we would never hold that same uh, philosophy up to you know our mechanics or electricians or other people who provide a valuable service. We understand they charge for that. So walk me through that. Like, have you experienced either personally or externally from other people that sense of? But you're a pastor. This ought to just be something that you're doing for free, and you know because it's ministry. Like, has that? come up in your world at all, especially in yeah, that arena? It's, it's, a, it's a challenge, no doubt. Um, and people sometimes just don't understand the economics of the situation, right? You still, you know, you still got to make a living. You still got to feed your family. And if I could do all of this, I was just independently wealthy and I could do it all for free. Obviously I would. Um, now it helped that it, in my fire department, I was a volunteer for three or four years before they ever started paying me. Um, so I think it kind of communicated like I'm here to serve, I'm here to help. And then eventually they saw the value in that and started and started paying me for it. It wasn't great, but they, they were paying me a little something. Um, so I kind of had a you know 1099 extra thing going on. So my ministry, my outreach, if you will, was something that that I was I was getting paid for. Um, you just kind of have to understand where people are coming from and just they kind of kindly and gently explain the economics of it. I mean, the reality of it is, you know, I've got a family and, and I've got to support my family and I would love to do this for free. 
Um, you know, the reason that this is something that, you know, that I get paid for is so that I can offer my time more free, you know, more accessibly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not everybody's going to understand that. And you just kind of have to have a little bit of thick skin and, you know, yeah. Well, again, I think the reason it, it it's worth bringing up here is because it, in ministry, so often with pastors, when we think about applying our skill set out in the marketplace somewhere, it's for many pastors, it's hard to get past it. It's like, well, since I counsel people for free in, as a part of being a pastor, I have to keep doing that out there as well. Or since I'm kind of coaching people inside the church for free, it's just expected along with all of my job description then anywhere I go to do those things, I ought to just do it for low or no cost. And that's really the mindset I'm tr- that we're trying to help pastors overcome. Like you have skills that are valuable, and if if applied in the marketplace, you can deliver tremendous value to people, and you can also build a business around it. You can monetize some of those skill sets, and it's not only okay, it's good. I'm that's my opinion. I'm saying that like I think it's a good thing when a pastor can engage in the marketplace using you know, his or her skill set like that. So I love that about your story, man. Sure. And sometimes it's actually less of an obstacle. My, my observation is sometimes less of an obstacle in the marketplace than it is in the church. Bingo. Mm -hmm. Tell Um, me more about that. Why, why do you say that? (laughs) Well, I think people in the marketplace understand that you, ironically, they understand the verse that the laborer is worthy of his hire, right? Mm. They understand you got to pay for, for services and um, nobody can do what they do for free. And so I, it is, I have seen it come up sometimes in the fire department, you know, kind of the attitude of, well, you're a pastor, you should do this for free. But by and large, um, I probably see that resistance more with the church. Um, and I don't mean any specific church, just in general with, with believers um, mm-hmm. than I do in, in the marketplace, um, especially in the business professional community. Yeah. And you know, when I hear that, like uh, my thought immediately goes to, I'm mad at the church for that. And then I'm like, well, who's leading the church? It's us. It's pastors. So I wonder if this is a leadership issue, pastor. I wonder if one of the reasons we have such scarcity, poverty thinking in the church is because we have such scarcity thinking poverty among pastors, but then I can blame the church. Which came first, the the people or the pastors? You know, where did this... So on a pastoral level, one of my little kind of rules of thumb as a pastor is if somebody does something for a living, they do that for income, we as a church will pay them for that. Now, if they say, oh, no, 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 I want to paint the auditorium for free, then that's fine. You can you can turn that down or you can turn it back in the offering plate. You can do whatever you want. But we're as a church not going to expect somebody to do something for free as, on a volunteer basis if that's their means of income. Right. right. So a guy comes to fill the pulpit who's a pastor, you know, or who's an evangelist or whatever. We're, we're going to we're going to pay that guy. Um, uh, likewise, if a guy's a painter or, or a craftsman or or paves the parking lot or whatever, just because he's in the church and owns a paving business doesn't mean he should pay the, you know, pave the parking lot for free, right? We should offer to to pay that. So I think it's just a little bit of a statement to the church that like people are worth paying and this is how they make their living. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I got a a real practical question for you. Walk us through when you decided to launch a business that's really built around the the fire restoration, I mean, it sounds like you were already in real estate before you really went into that niche, correct? You had already been investing correct. in some real estate. So right. so you would already maybe walk through some of this, you know, you're in business, you see yourself as having a, a, a role in, in the marketplace. But specifically, I just want to ask you about the startup story around that. Like, how does a pastor that's listening to this today that has an idea, maybe they see a need in the marketplace that they think they could 
they could meet. Walk us through how you went about starting that up and, and getting a business started around that. So to a certain extent, by flipping fire damaged houses, I had a pilot program. So I had some proof of concept. Like I could actually talk to the SBA and, and they say, how much experience do you have in this business? Well, I've got three years experience, right? So there's a little bit of a testing the waters there. You, you know, it's not completely outside of the realm of what I've been doing. Right. Um, how we got started, um, I was thinking about this idea already. Um, there's a company, a national hotline, that's 1-800-BOARD-UP, that I found out the local um, affiliate, the franchise was available here. And interestingly enough, that's a company that I used to call when I was a chaplain hmm. and because they would take care of people, they prioritize taking care of the victims. Hmm. And so when I, you know, kind of all of those things align, I like, this is a good fit. Um, and I had been on the user side of it. So I felt like there were some ways that I could kind of build on what we already had or what, what I had seen. Um, so then it was just basically, a, you know, writing a marketing plan or writing a business plan, um, getting an SBA loan um, and, and firing up that, that engine. We basically, 2019 was really kind of our getting started year. 2020, we bumped along. We didn't really make a lot. We just kind of broke even. And then in February of last year, 2021, Texas had the largest run of freezing temperatures ever on record. And everybody's pipes burst and everything flooded. And we signed more business from that one event than we had in all of the previous year. Wow. So our business is just blown up. We went from, you know, a little one man band to, um, you know, now three employees, four employees, <clears throat> a couple of part, you know, three full-time, a couple of part-time employees, subcontractors, you know, adding extra equipment, all that. So really this year has been a, uh, a lot of growing pains in figuring out, okay, what does this business look like now is a little bit, a little bit bigger business. Yeah. Um, we're running a little under this year, this past year, a little under $2 million in, in gross revenue. Um, so it's a lot, it's just a lot to figure out all of those pieces. Um, that's kind of how we, how we got started. Was there something more particular? No, that, that's good. You know, I, I love hearing, hearing that story. It's just practical to hear kind of how you how you backed into that, how you, you know, what your thought process was there. So that's helpful. I know that's going to help someone out there. Um, I have just a few more questions that are popping in my mind before we go backstage. Um, I want to talk about your book here in just a moment, but one other question that I've got is, uh, is maybe around the subject of like time management because ministry in being a pastor is challenging enough at times, overwhelming enough. And now you've got your hand in all these other things. So how do you do it? I'm sure you get that question on a regular basis. Jeremy, how do you do all these things? What, what's, what tips would you give us? It's a great question. I do get it a lot. Um, I, there's two answers. First of all, I don't always do it. And, and sometimes you just have to say that's just not going to get done. Mm. <laughs> like, so you have to be okay with that. Um, so that's, that's one part of the answer. And I think the second part of the answer is, is team. Um, you know, there's nothing that I'm doing that I don't have other people involved in. Mm. Um, you know, obviously my wife is my biggest supporter and cheerleader and, um, it, and there's, I couldn't do what I do without her. Um, you know, I've got a great, uh, administrative assistant at the church, um, fantastic associate pastor, um, you know, as far as my business team, my employees, my bookkeeper, my CPA, my attorneys. So you, so you've got to lean on other people, um, really work with a team such that, that you are able to get a lot of your, your off your plate. So what do they say? Don't, 
this probably came from a business book I read somewhere. Um, you know, don't, don't do what you can delegate and don't delegate what you can automate. Hmm. Um, so if I'm doing something and I think to myself, I could delegate this. Okay. Now it's time to put into a system that I can hand off to somebody else. Um, and there's now with technology, there's so much you can automate. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a big part of the answer. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest lessons I've learned being in business is, um, you know, we as pastors don't always delegate well. Um, we don't always leverage the gifts of other people um, as well as we could. And you know what, that, that, that task that you do over and over again, and it just drives you crazy and you hate doing, there's probably somebody out there that loves doing that. Yeah. And once, you know, because we all have, we're all wired differently. And so I think that's a, a valuable thing to be able to leverage off, um, not in the sense of, you know, I'm too good for this. Right. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I'm always willing to jump in and help. But in the sense that, you know, I might not be the best person to, to do that. Another phrase that you'll hear in, in business is um, only do what only you can do. Yeah. Um, and that's so that's kind of how, how I work is is as I'm doing stuff, especially if it becomes repetitive, I think, okay, can we move this to, to another system? And frankly, I mean, just to kind of go off on a tangent here a little bit. There's a lot of, well, okay. There's a lot of bad in business books and podcasts and all that stuff too, because there's a lot of it that's steeped in greed and, and kind of the, I hope I don't offend any of your listeners. I'm not a fan of the word of faith, prosperity theology movement. Nope. Um, and there's a lot of that that's kind of repackaged into business. So there's some things that I think are are dangerous, but by the same token, there's also some things that I think we really can learn from the business world. Um, sound business practices, organizational leadership, um, how to delegate, like we were talking about leveraging the talents of others. Um, so those are the things that have been really enriching to me to learn is um, where can we gain wisdom from others who are you know, doing some things that they're maybe they're doing a little better than us and we, yeah. we could kind of learn from. So, yeah, that's well said. I've, I've heard a lot of resistance over the years from pastors and, and Christians about, you know, learning things for the church from business. And I think that's silly. I think it's smart to, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones and read those things with discernment. But I also believe that all truth is God's truth. So if, if there's a principle that is true and it works, that, then it doesn't matter if it's being you know largely used in the business sense. Like the church can learn from that. The church can lean into that because again, not to say that everything that works in business works in the church. I'm not saying that, but I'm I think we should be way more open to it than suspicious of it. You know, and, and read with sure. The and I think some of that reaction comes out of the the tendency to to over market the church to make it a marketing venture, and it's it's different in that way. I mean, the purpose of business is basically to please your client, to give your client what, what he or she wants. Whereas in the church, our goal is discipleship. It's fundamentally to change the client, if you will, right? Sure. It's to, to, for, to, to invoke change. Um, so that's the, you know, the key distinction between the two. Uh, what is similar, though, is a lot, of the, a lot of the business world understands organizational leadership sometimes better, better than we do. And um, so that's where I've been enriched um, and, and blessed by that, um, really getting tapped in more to the business business world. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, one of the things that I just sense from you that's the beautiful way that these dovetail together is that there are different reasons for somebody 
choosing an entrepreneurial lifestyle. And one might be that you just want some different things for yourself or your family or to have some different experiences or, you know, but, but in your case though, it just seems to me like the, I think it's fair to say you correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it's fair to say that you couldn't serve really where you believe God's called you to serve in the way that you're serving it. If not for this other part of your life, that's making it possible to do so. Is that Absolutely. Yeah. So if I had to, you know, rely on, you know, the church plant is is healthy from a spiritual perspective, but we don't have a lot of money. We're a small congregation. Um, if it were not for my ability to pivot and and move into this arena, we wouldn't continue. In fact, it's interesting what you said prompted a, a kind of a, a little story from when I was making the transition to start this uh, this business. I talked to a gentleman uh, about a, a, a man who has means, who um, is a businessman in another area, who's a believer, good man. And I think his advice was very well-intentioned. So I don't want to, um, you know, besmirch his motives. But when I was talking to him, he's like, well, I don't think you should start a business. I think you should just go get a job. Um, I, I think he really genuinely meant well um, by that advice. But um, but there's a couple of problems with that. Um, right. So if you take um, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant, right? You know, the first is employee. Well, if you're an employee, you know, you clock in, clock out, you are beholden to that employer's management right. of your time. Mm -hmm. um, and I've literally had it happen where it's 7.30 in the morning, a man in my church calls me and said, Pastor, my dad just died. Mom and I are here. We don't know what to do. And I've been like, I'm getting dressed right now. I'll be there in an hour. I don't have to call my boss. I don't have to take a day off. Like, I can go. I can still be a pastor because of, of what I'm doing. Um, and then the second thing is the financial pathway um, to create wealth. You don't really do that trading time for money. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize the avenue that other men go in tent making by taking a, you know, a regular eight to five job. Um, I'm, not, I'm not here to, if that's the direction God leads you, that's fine. But for me, entrepreneurship is much more compatible with pastoral ministry yeah. um, than just a, a traditional job. Yep. Yeah. Compatible yeah, and profitable. Yep. yep. Well, hey, before, before we wrap up our conversation, I do want you to talk some about the book. We'd like to have you on uh, when it's closer for that to come out and really go public with it. But I do know a little bit about who that book is to serve and and what is going to come as a result. So for those that are interested, they're, they're going to lean in now because uh, this is a message that needs to be heard. So why don't you just share with us who, who this work is for and what you hope to accomplish through it? Awesome. Well, thanks. We're, we're super excited about this project. And I say we, um, my, my co-author is a colonel in the United States Army, a longtime chaplain and has seen combat, uh, I think, three times, if I remember correctly, uh, which, you know, honestly, there are some chaplains that go through the whole career without ever seeing combat. So he's, mm -hmm. he's been around the block. He knows his name is Gary Fisher. And I'm just honored to have him as a, as a co-author. Um, we are really trying to help those who have endured trauma. And we're trying to help them by, by giving, giving them hope and giving them a pathway forward. Um, and what we want to do is we want to do that by caring for the whole person. Um, there's, there's kind of a mental health model that, that tends to look at man as simply a physical being 
and really just wants to think more about the physiology. Um, and there's also sometimes in the Christian church, particularly kind of this rejection of that model and wants to ascribe everything to a, a, a you know, it's a spiritual problem. It's a sin issue. And we actually believe that it's a both and, right? There is a physiological um, care that needs to take place. There is also the fact that we can further complicate our problems if we don't have a right response to the circumstances that we endure. And so really it's a both and. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do is to help people um, kind of draw from our experience, my experience, Gary's experience, and then from the, the situations that others have gone through and give some, some help and hope uh, to those that are hurting, because a lot of people go through trauma. It's, yeah, it's combat soldiers. Yeah, it's first responders. But the fact is, you know, there's people out there that have endured, you know, horrific accidents. They have um, gone through um, mass disasters. Um, and so we want to help people who have endured trauma by helping them as a whole person. Love that. That's so good. Well, hey, if someone wanted to reach out and connect with you, uh, what would be the best way for them to contact you and are you open to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably email is, is good. Um, good grief. I've got a couple of email addresses. <laughs> probably the best one to reach me at would be um, pastor at NHBC Round Rock. Um, stands for North Hills Baptist Church Round Rock, all spelled out, uh, .org. Excellent. Well, Jeremy, if you don't mind uh, joining us backstage here in a few minutes, what I'd like to ask you about there is uh, to go a little bit more into your real estate story. And the way I'll package the question is just, what advice would you give to a pastor that is thinking about getting into the real estate game? Because we've got multiple pastors in our community that are, some are just killing it right now in the real estate world. Some are wanting to get into that space. I would be one of those that are very much looking at that. So it's a selfish question. I want, I want you is. to talk to a beginner, talk to someone who's on the verge of jumping in. What, you know, what did you wish you, you know, what, what would you have liked to have known back then? We'll talk about that backstage. And if you're good with it, go into a little bit of uh, yeah. more detail on that. Does that sound good? I'd love to. Cool. Love to. Well, man, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, and I know this has added tremendous value to our listeners. So thank you so much, my friend. We're grateful for you. Thank, thank you. I appreciate all you guys are doing. Well, there you go. Good stuff from Jeremy Vandelinder. And for those of you that are subscribers to our backstage premium portion of our podcast, uh, stick around because Jeremy's going to be talking about how to get started in real estate specifically. So more good stuff coming for those of you that are either in our membership community or backstage subscribers. And if you're curious about how to get involved with any of that, go to entrepastors.com slash community, and you can see the different options of of jumping into some of those different things. But Les, one thing I wanted to stress before we sign off about Jeremy specifically is that he is also in our Entree Pastors mastermind. You want to take just a minute and talk about the value of gathering with people just like Jeremy every single week? Yeah. So you can tell just by listening to, to Jeremy, the way that he thinks, um, he's not a small thinker. He's a, he's a big thinker, which is one of the reasons that we really like being around him. And he doesn't just dabble in these things, John. He's a, he's been a pastor and a church planner for a long time. He's been a public servant for a long time at a high level. He doesn't just dabble in real estate or the contracting world. He's a, I don't know how he does it all, but that's the kind of people that we really want 
um, to be to be in our mastermind group in particular, because, you know, as that, as they say, as that tide rises, it helps all ships rise as well. And being around people like Jeremy that can just speak into one another and challenge one another, they just think differently, you know? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that we, when, when we, when we see someone like him and some others, we're like, man, th this guy, he needs to be in the mastermind. And fortunately for, for, for everybody in there, he decided to, um, make that decision. Absolutely. So if, if that is something that sounds appealing to you to be involved in a group of high achieving, high committed, high level thinkers and action takers, man, we would love to have you in our Entree Pastors Mastermind. Again, if you go to entrepastors.com slash community, there's a place right there for you to apply. And there is an application process because we want to screen those that would be at that level of our weekly meetings. Like we want to make sure they're the right fit for that group so that they're not only getting value, but that they're also adding value to the group. So anyway, Les, when you used that metaphor earlier about the rising tide lifting all boats, I thought, I was like, there's another metaphor I've heard about the tide. And it says, when the tide goes out, you can tell who's been skinny dipping. But I'm not mm. quite sure what that means or what that has to do with our mastermind, but it's yeah. what my mind went to. So good I'm stuff. pass on that one. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, Les, thanks for joining us in studio today. Great seeing you again and look forward to talking with you next week, man. All right. Talk to you next time. All right, guys. God bless. Thanks for listening. And hey, before we sign off, if you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review, if you find this content helpful, we would be very grateful if you would go to iTunes or whatever platform you consume your podcast through and leave us a nice rating, a nice review. Just help get that out in front of more people. Or better yet, flat out just share it with somebody. Text it to one of your friends, your pastor group, groups on Facebook, social media, wherever you know some people that would be blessed by it. We'd be so appreciative if you'd share it with them. So thanks for helping us out with that. God bless to each and every one of you. We'll talk real soon. Take care. Take care.